Today's teaching text is Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. You can find that in your Shed Bible on page 499. Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord, and meditate on his law day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. This morning, we get to continue in our series for this fall on essentials. Uh, this is where we're taking a look at things that help regather and recenter us around who it is to be the church at Mars Hill and the church in this particular time and place. Last week, Troy took a look at the relationality of God, the Trinity, God in three persons, this abundant love and life that gives shape to our life. And if that resonated with you a little bit, or the idea of God's love overflowing to how we are with one another, I'd just like to invite you to a little step further. On Tuesday night, we're going to be hosting the first of our public lecture series for the fall. This is going to be, as some people have referred to Cherith's teaching, dynamite. So I'd invite you to be a part of this this uh, Tuesday at 7 p.m. But first, before we dig into the Bible, we have another guest. Would you welcome to the platform, Paul Caminiti. Paul, uh, Paul has been a part of Mars Hill for a long time. Paul uh, was formerly a publisher at Zondervan, which does a lot of Bible publishing, and more recently has been, he's co-founded the Institute for Bible Reading, and has been the co-creator of this thing we call the Immerse Bible which has been engaged by our students. You might see a picture here of some of our Mars Hill students uh, digging into the scriptures together. And we're really thrilled about that. So Paul, could you come tell us a little bit about uh, what you do? Give us maybe a thumbnail sketch of this Immerse Bible. How does that work? Yes, thank you, Tim. Yeah. And. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity to talk about Immerse. I think the first thing I want to say is that Immerse is not just the next uh, trendy Bible to come down the pike. Um, Glenn Powell, in his book, Saving the Bible from Ourselves, makes the observation in this modern era that we live, we need an intervention for the Bible. And I think Immerse starts us uh, down that road. Um, so you can see feature-wise the obvious. It comes in six volumes, reflecting the fact that there are six natural divisions in the Bible's mm -hmm. story. Uh, it puts the books in a better historical order. Little known fact, um, the letters from Paul in our modern Bibles are ordered from the longest to the shortest. Um, not particularly helpful if you're trying to understand the evolution 
of Paul's theology and, and Paul's evolution um, as a person. Uh, but of course, the biggest change that we made, and this is what people think of when they think of immerse, is that, that we gave the Bible an unmakeover. Um, we, we sent chapters and verses packing. And, um, you know, people ask, you know, why, why is that such a, a, a big deal? They're just numbers. And the reality is they're not just numbers. That the chapter and verse system is the Bible's operating system. In, in a very similar way in which our computers have, you know, um, Windows, in which we have, what, Mac OS, some things like that. Chapters and verses, make no doubt about it, are an operating system, and they, they dictate or at least strongly influence everything about our encounter with the Bible. Um, it dictates our reading rhythms. Um, research shows um, that when we read with chapters and verses, that it leads to a reading interruptus, kind of like um, driving down a road with, with, with speed bumps. It dictates how much we read. We come to a chapter break, and it signals to our brain, you've read enough, stop reading. Uh, and then, of course, it dictates um, our interpretation of the Bible and oftentimes leads to this lethal practice of taking Scripture out of context or as we like to refer to it, verse jacking. And um, so with Immerse, we have replaced the, the artificial chapter and verse operating system with a system of what we call natural literary breaks. So for example, there aren't 28 chapters in, in Matthew. There are five major teachings of Jesus in the Matthew that end or begin with this phrase, and after Jesus had said these things. And so these literary breaks, this new um, system, if you will, this new operating system is kind of the controlling force um, in, in Immerse. Uh, important caveat, um, we're not dissing reference Bibles. There's going to be no Bible burning, you know, ceremony out in the back after, after the service. Uh, they, they serve a purpose in the Bible's ecosystem, not the least of which is um, pu public worship. Reference Bible, right? We've got chapters and verses, yep. and then a reading Bible. But how did we? How did you get to this? Like, what's behind it? Yeah, I mean, the, the impetus for us, frankly, was was stunning research. Um, and, and coming to the realization that we're, we're currently in a place of, of a, a silent crisis of, of Bible disengagement, and, and that's not overstating the case. Um, here's, here's what that looks like in this, this simple slide. Um, this is, we might call this the state of the Bible for the last 35 years, and that blue line is ownership and it's skyrocketing, and the red line, and it needs to be read, um, tells us that, that Bible reading is, is in free fall. Last year, we lost 26 million Bible readers. Stunning, um, as, we think, as we think about that. Um, 
so fortunately, th there's some good news um, in, in that, that next slide there that we, we uncovered in juxtaposition. Uh, 80,000 churchgoers were asked, what do you need most from your church? Nine out of 10 of them said, help me understand the Bible in depth. Uh, it, it was shocking. Everyone thought they were going to ask for a better band or better programming for the children or, you know, better coffee or something like that. 87% said, help me, help me, help me understand the Bible in depth. The follow-up question was, is your church helping you do that? And only one in five said yes. And so that pink box, which we nicknamed the gap, sent us on a quest, really, to understand why is it, how can it be, it, you know, if, if Bibles on the one hand are ubiquitous, and on the other hand, there's actually within the church a deep desire to do better by the Bible, um, then why are so many people um, disengaging? And, and specifically, are there barriers? Are there barriers that are, are standing in our way? I'll tell you about some of those. You said that each household has an average of six Bibles in the United States, right? That's, you could put a lot of books between those. So what, what are some of these barriers to Bible reading, Bible engagement? Yeah. Well, here's three. There, there may be others. <clears throat> and, and, you know, the, the, the usual suspects are, well, people don't read anymore, and, you know, the Bible is an ancient book and so forth. But consider these. Number one, we read the Bible in fragments. Uh, the Christian journalist Philip Yancey said, uh, the modern church has created an entire culture around Bible McNuggets. An entire culture. Uh, imagine that. Um, but really, the, the aha moment for us was the understanding that fragmented reading didn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, and it's largely due to the Bible's fragmented form. And so just for grins, I'm going to bring up a couple of pictures here. We might call these gentlemen the, uh, the fathers of the modern Bible. Is that Troy? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, I think it's Dan Johnson on the right there with the really, yeah. uh, with the really big beard, in, incognito. Yeah. So, uh, um, uh, Stephen Langton on the left. Um, my left, your right, the, the guy with the crown, former Archbishop of Canterbury, and uh, Robert Estienne. These, these two gentlemen, almost single-handedly, are the ones that gave us chapters and, and, and verse numbers. And I just put their, them up there. It's a fascinating story, and, and you can look it up um, on your own. But they essentially laid, um, let's call it what it was, an artificial numeric text over the text, uh, something really that was foreign to the Bible. And in biological terms, it was an exoskeleton, a skeleton outside uh, the body. So second, second bad habit, uh, we read the Bible outside of its historical context. And we hear a lot about this, but here, here's the essence of it. If we want to read the Bible well, if we want to read the Bible with integrity, we have to first read it through the eyes of the original audience. And that's a skill set that needs to be developed and is underdeveloped right now 
in, in the church, we have to realize that we're reading somebody else's mail. And then the last, um, the last barrier is that um, we read the Bible in isolation. Um, and just, you know, a tertiary reading of the Bible will tell us that this book was designed to be a communal transformation book, and that there are things that happen when people gather around the Bible that don't happen in our private devotions, and that is not to discourage us from private um, devotions. But in the modern era, uh, Bible reading in, in large measure has become a solo sport. And so, this is why we created Immerse, yeah. is, to, uh, is to address um, those, those barriers. So, thank you to Mars Hill for stepping into the fray. And um, the young people led us. Uh, they, they're the ones that read through Messiah. So, they've, they've set the pace for us. And there's multiple opportunities now coming up. Um, I'm going to be in the table in the, the back afterwards, not selling immersed Bibles. That's not a, a plug for that. Uh, but I do highly recommend, you know, if I were to sum it all up, I would say this. And th this sounds, you know, kind of like sliced bologna, but find a reading Bible. <laughs> and then find a reading group. Don't go at this alone. Uh, God never intended our personal discipline to bring about success in our Bible reading. And then find a, find a reading rhythm and let it be a rhythm of feasting and, uh, and not snacking. So, Tim, thank you for this time yeah. and blessings to you. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm all about feasting instead of snacking. Let's do that together. And I would catch up with Paul. Um, just to have a conversation about what it means to read Scripture in a more vibrant fashion. And so today we come to Scripture as one of the essentials. We have a name of our gathering, right? Mars Hill Bible Church. So it's, it's there, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Now, in the same way that it was strange in some ways, the name like we're talking about God last week with Troy, it's strange to say we're talking about the Bible. We talk about the Bible all the time. It's what we do here. That's what we, we look to on a regular basis. And so know this, that in the next few minutes, you will receive nothing near an exhaustive defense or explanation of the Bible. This may be not even the breath before the intro, maybe just the inhale before the breath before the intro of what is this mysterious, holy, sacred, inspired, living, active, and majestic, revelatory book we call the Bible, or referred to as Holy Scripture. That word scripture actually is, is unique. It says something. It says that it's not just a book or a book of writings. That scripture itself means it is joined with the active revelation of the living God for us in this day. So we're going to talk about this scripture in four different beats today, quite quickly. We're going to talk about it in terms of inspiration, illumination, imagination, and improvisation. So, if we can hang in there for four quarters, much like a football game, culturally relevant reference, let's do this. Sound good? 
All right. Hey, we're going to jump in. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3. The scripture talks about itself oftentimes. And we get this picture in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed, or that scripture is God-breathed. Now, what does this mean to us? If we follow this idea of God breathing, it takes us to another place in Scripture. This is John chapter 20, where you actually have this phrase, Jesus breathed on them, talking about his disciples, and they received the Holy Spirit. Spirit, this word that uh, pneumatos, like that, that, is, that is, talks about movement and breath in and of itself that this was part of God giving the Spirit to the disciples. We get the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the one who enables humanity to speak and remember and write down and share the story, the testimony that is Scripture of humanity's experience and witness to the God of Israel. So here we have breath and spirit and words, which makes us bought from John 20 to Genesis chapter 1 where we begin right off the bat as we crack the initial page of the scriptures that we see here. That in the beginning, there was spirit. And then again, as if repeated action again and again and again, God speaks. By, chap- by verse three, and God said, Verse six, and God said. Verse nine, and God said. That this God is a speaking God. That God uses these words to do something, to bring impact and action. There is word that is moving and creating, which makes me think then from Genesis one to John chapter one, where you get the word that became flesh and moved and dwelt among us. That this word again is moving. Now here we get to dive into one of these interesting, really profound things where you get the word, Hebrew divarim, or Greek logos, but it's also like you're reading it and the word became flesh, which means it's a person, which means it's Jesus. Do I capitalize the word? Do I not? If you're writing about these things and you hold the word of God, as we reference it here, with the living word that is Jesus. So are they the same? Are they different? What in the world do we do with this? I would say that some of us have grown up in traditions that hold the, this trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. That doesn't sound right. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. Because Scripture is not God. The Bible is not divine. It points to God, to Christ, the living word. So they're not the same. But if Father, Son, and Spirit is this trinity, then there is this idea that these words point to the living word, which is Jesus. And we can learn something about these two of these things in conversation, Jesus and the word of God. That is Jesus was both human and divine, right? We get the creedal affirmation, fully God, fully man. Not 50-50, not like 80-20, right? Fully and fully. In the same way, we get to look at Scripture as this mysterious mixture. Not even, a mixture feels like you can pull it apart, but you can't. A commingling 
of spirit inspiration and human words. Even the idea that the God of the universe would accommodate and limit God's self to a language, to a time. The humility of God to be misunderstood, to be mistranslated. Who is this amazing God? And so that is why we can look in a similar way that Jesus fully God and fully human, we look to the scriptures as inspired, as the work of God and the work of humanity, of God saying, I wish to reveal myself to you, my beloved. So I'm going to use things that make sense to you. I'm going to tell stories about fathers and children, about grain and grapes and donkeys that's, the, that's what we're going to use in language you can understand. So this scripture speaks of common things in the most uncommon way because it speaks with the voice of the divine as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, it goes without saying that this has also been abused, that there has been uninspired uses of the text. And yet, God is faithful to revealing his word to us in the midst of this. So how then do we interact with this inspired text, the work of God? We get a small picture in our teaching text. This is Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the one who does not stay in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on this law night and day, day and night. I want to highlight that word delight. Can you go back one, Scott? This is a thing to be delighted in. One of the ways we can tell about inspired usage of this book, is this something that brings delight? It also brings conviction. It brings us to repentance but it also is meant to bring delight to the soul, that this story is doing something in which we meditate upon. Now this word in Hebrew is, is a whole body experience. It's not simply cognitively going over the words or even talking about memorizing scripture, as amazing as that is, but it's talking about one's body reverberating with the echoes of the story night and day, so that it's something that we live into with our entire life. And we can do this through the power of the Spirit who illuminates the inspired scripture for us. Point number two, illumination. Almost every Sunday, we will pray the prayers of the people And then we will shift to praying a prayer of illumination. It may sound something like this. Spirit of God, would you illuminate this text for your people afresh today? And then the scripture is read in our community. We need help to see what's really going on in the Bible. Cheryl B. John says this, um, 
that just as Jesus does not minister apart from the work of the Spirit, so that the Bible does not speak apart from the word of the Spirit, work of the Spirit. So that when Scripture is opened, the Spirit is at work. We need someone to give us the eyes to see what is happening. God is at work when we open these pages to illuminate, to show us, to draw our attention to things, to move among us. God's spirit moves in and around and through the text that is spoken or read. Now, this means there's something living and active as this is read and revealed by the spirit of God who gives us ears to hear. It's another scriptural motif that's often. Eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to respond But, not only does the Spirit of God reveal and illuminate the Scriptures to us directly, but in whom does the Spirit of God dwell and delight? You, me, us. Paul spoke about a communal reading of Scripture. Scripture opened and unleashed in community illuminates for us something that we can't see on our own. Uh, On the screen, you're going to see a a visual of a first-century synagogue. This is the place where they would come to worship, where, where New Testament Uh, writers would preach where Jesus would go to the synagogue. Now, in the middle, you'll see that green arrow pointing to something we call a bima platform. In the center of the worship space, there was a square elevated place from which the scripture would be read. Not in the front of the room where the scriptures may have been kept or where the altar was, but from the middle Because this communal book was meant to be encountered together. While devotional personal reading is amazing, there is something that you cannot replicate by encountering the scriptures on your own. We need one another to do this. From where I sit over here generally, I need to see the scriptures and Sherry at the same time. Because it's not just me in this story, it's God speaking to a people. You in the East get to see the proclamation with the Pearsons. It matters that we do this. Smiths, you get to see the Grassmeyers across the way. It matters that you are here and that this book does something to us, to we together. Because I don't want to encounter it without you. I need somebody with a different life experience, someone with a different age, a different story, to give vibrancy, to give color, to give texture to the gospel read and proclaimed in our midst. I need someone to remind me that their talents and gifts are pulling at me and saying something about the character of God as the word is proclaimed. It makes me consider God, self, and neighbor at the same time. Reading and speaking about Scripture together forms us as a particular people. We're not meant to ingest and read this whole thing alone, but to see somebody through it 
In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you get the Shema. Now, in the middle of this text, we're told this, to take these words that have been commanded to you and press them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk around the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heads. Bind them on your foreheads. Take the words of God, put them on your forehead. Makes a lot of sense until you realize in the Hebrew language, there's no word for forehead. So what are we to do with that? As if the the text is saying, take these words and set them before your eyes so that you see people, that you see work, that you see pain, that you see hope through the grand story of the scriptures. Because scripture in and of itself is not just something that gives us good ideas or tips and tricks, but it's a way of seeing and inhabiting and imagining the world. One in which we are immersed and shaped. Earlier this week, uh, I was in a meeting, I was just wrapping up with Pastor Denise and one of our elders, and we're just talking about people in our congregation who have done doing some great work using their gifts, and we're talking about one particular woman, and, and Denise and this elder are just saying like, oh my gosh, it's like she just wants to feed everybody, no matter what, and do whatever it takes. And something inside me just went, yes. Yes, we should feed everybody, and do you know why? Not because this person is nice, or goes to Bible study. That's not why they want to do this. They are nice, but they want to feed everybody because they're following a God they have met and encountered in Scripture, a God who places humanity in a garden and blesses them with food and fruit trees. They're talking about a God they've encountered who brings people into the desert and there provides meat and bread, and water from a rock. They're talking about a God who gives to the widow almost unlimited olive oil so that she can cook and survive and thrive and those around her can eat and survive too. We're talking about a God who lets everybody to the table and eat. It's a God who sees the crowds that are hungry and feeds thousands of them out of nothing. We're talking about a God in this book who is the bread of life to say, I am the word, the bread of life. And we are talking about the God who shares with God's friends the everlasting meal. You are invited to. So that is why we feed everyone. The imagination is expanded. And it begs the question of us, where do you need increased imagination? Where is your horizon of possibility low? Maybe you need increased imagination to live generously. What does that look like? Who are the characters who do that? Who are the ones who are uh, empowered by the Spirit to live generously? Maybe it's something where you need increased imagination around what does healing look like? Or what does perseverance look like in your context? Or how do I find hope in the middle of this? Where is resurrection? How do I live that way? Where is my imagination too small? Where do you long for God to break through in some way? 
This is what the scriptures offer us, a reshaped imagination. But what is possible? And if you're asking some of these questions and say, I don't know where to go, maybe you're part of the nine out of 10 folks who say, I really want my church to help me figure this out. I want us to shift from a community who's in that percentage to those who say my church is helping me. I would just encourage you to actually legitimately send me an email and say, here is what I'm really hoping for. Here's where I need increased imagination. Where do I find that? I'm not just saying something into the void, saying you're a Bible scholar, go find increased imagination in these pages with verses and chapters and little tiny words. But I'd actually love to help you discover where this amazing, inspired story can meet you in some profound ways, where the living God can shape our imagination as a people. Come to the text to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to be a part of a community whose imagination is shaped by this story. Want more people in our midst to say they want to feed everybody. They want to heal everybody. They think they can raise the dead. Amen. Now. Not just in the someday, but it takes immersing ourselves in this story and letting the Spirit of God illuminate things for us. That's a church I want to participate in. And participation is a key word because it's not just application. At some point, there was a Bible floating around, I remember it in my childhood, called the NIV Life Application Bible. Paul might have published that. I didn't check that out before. But we're talking about as much more than application. We're not talking about picking something out of here and just putting it in here. We're not talking about tips and tricks for a better life. We're talking about something that so grabs hold of our imagination that we are able to improvise and participate in the story because participation is far greater than application. There is no shortage of people on TikTok, on your computer screen, at the magazine counter, saying here's a couple of ways to make your life better. But we're talking about an immersive experience in which we are participants. When we say this, this book is living and active, it is because the spirit is at work through it and it testifies to the living God, but it's also a story that's still being told. Here at Mars Hill Bible Church, we hold this thing we call a narrative theology. It's a way to approach the scriptures. This is from our website. I'd encourage you to go check it out. It's really a beautiful thing. It's not the only way to encounter the scriptures, but it's the way that I think God has called and formed us to say, this is a story in which we are participating right now. It's a story with major acts and pieces of creation and fall and redemption and recreation that we have a role in, that we are playing an active role in the story of God. It's weighty and delightful. Speaking of improvisation, I learned this this week. The cardinal sin in improv is to say no. I don't watch a lot of improv. Remember, there's some funny shows on, but, but if you're handed a prompt, a script, it's not something you say no to. You take it and you say, how does this work itself out now in these people, in these words right here? And that's the invitation of scripture, really. It's not to just ask the question, what would Jesus do? 
Dallas Willard helps us reframe that to say maybe it's a, a better question, a more accurate question, is to say, what would Jesus do if he were me with this job, these kids, in 2023? Because while we look to the God who enables us, empowers us, the Spirit is empowering us to do something to live in a way that views one another in the world through the narrative of scripture that we have been gifted. And so we too get to improvise on this, not as something that's willy-nilly, but something by God's grace takes what has been given us and says, I want to participate. I I wanna step in that direction. And I wanna be part of a church who does that in the power of the Spirit that inspires us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, tunes our ears and our eyes to what's happening to illuminate the scriptures. The God who then shapes our imagination individually and collectively to say we can feed the world in the name of Jesus. Here and now allows us to improvise and take a step forward empowered by the Spirit in the narrative of Scripture and say we have a role to play. And all of these roles and all of these words and all of this points to Jesus Christ, author, perfecter. And that is whom we follow and that is whom we worship. And so Mars Hill Bible Church, it's not essential that we agree on every interpretation of every text together. That kind of unity can never really be laid held with. But we are a community, and it can be essential that we return time and again to the inspired and spirit-illuminated scripture together, prayerfully and humbly to participate where God is calling us to live as a Jesus people, for the sake of the world, with big imaginations, to say yes to where God is calling us next. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And the greatest improvisation of all times is that Jesus did not count equality with God as something to grasp, to hoard, or to hold on to, but that he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, submitting himself to death, even death on a cross. But now he has a name that is above all names, that at that name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. It is this Lord who inspires. It is this Lord who invites us to the table. And so, may the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. How right and good and joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you. We join our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. 
Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so send your spirit and now upon us we pray so the bread which we break and the cup which we bless will be unto us the body and blood of Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord. And as these grains have been gathered from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup so soon and very soon may your whole church be gathered together in you even to the end of the earth even so come Lord Jesus. And so I give to you that which I also receive, how the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he ate with his disciples, and after they had eaten, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do partake of this, you do acknowledge my death, my life, and indeed my coming again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so, beloved, as we prepare to come to the table, we want to remind you that we do have our pastors and prayer warriors who are prepared to pray with you. Um, In the back, if you want to be prayed with before you receive um, the Eucharist, or if you want to be pray, if you want to pray afterwards, we also do have our prayer wall where you can simply write your prayers, and our staff um, prays over those um, each week. We also have our candles as another expression and a way to offer ourselves. What a joy and a privilege it is that we get to come to the table, not alone, but together, even as we partake of the word, and we do so acknowledging it under the banner of these ancient words. Say them with me. Christ has died. Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And so, Mars Hill Bible Church, you may come to the tables as they are all set and prepared, or you may come to the front and be served here, but by all means come, for all is now ready.